Chapter 7 of A Lady's Captivity Among Chinese Pirates in the Chinese Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Lady's Captivity Among Chinese Pirates in the Chinese Seas by Fanny Lovio. Translated by Amelia Ann Blanford Edwards. Chapter 7 Efforts at Escape attempted flight return to the caldera capture cruelties of the pirates portrait of a pirate chief chinese prayer death of a pirate seizure of a merchant junk fresh plunder fortune of the vanquished on the following day our sailors set to work gallantly to repair the jolly boat would take at the least eight or ten hours of hard labor and our only hope lay in the continued absence of our enemies. The greater part of the day went by thus, and for hours and hours no sail was visible on the horizon. Once more we had the caldera to ourselves, but she was now a mere shell, dismantled, melancholy, and motionless, a floating mass of utter ruin. We fixed ten o'clock at night for the moment of our escape, and throughout all the day toiled on without any kind of food or rest. But for the nervous energy which kept me up, I know not how I should have borne this long starvation. As it was, my strength was failing rapidly. To fit a mast to the boat and construct some kind of rude sail out of the rags that lay strewn about our decks occupied the men up to a late hour of the evening. As all our rigging had been either carried away or cut to pieces, they even contrived to make some bamboo canes serve in the place of ropes. This done, we prepared to leave the ship, and were just about to lower the boat when two junks came into sight and bore down straight upon us. Stowing away all that could be hidden of our preparations, we hastened to take refuge in our cabins and there awaited whatever might happen. It was not long before they hove alongside, and they had no sooner leapt on board then they came down in search of us. Two of the pirates carried lanterns, by the light of which they examined us one by one, as if to make sure that none were missing. Arrived where I lay hidden, behind some of my companions, they laughed, and called to each other, with every mark of satisfaction. One made signs to me to rise, but I could only look up imploringly, and had no strength to stir. Another, irritated, perhaps, by my languor, threatened me with his sabre, which only added to my terror and left me more helpless than ever. But for an agonized cry, which just then drew their attention from me towards one of their number, who had missed his footing and fallen into the hold, I hardly know now how the scene might have ended. Having pitched from the deck to the very bottom of the vessel, the Chinese was brought up by one of our sailors. More dead than alive, he lay and groaned piteously, and the pirates, being occupied with his sufferings, and pleased, to all appearance, with the ready help which our men had afforded him, tormented and threatened me no more. Our alarms, however, were not yet ended. These barbarians seemed to delight in our terror, and not content with all that they had already done, now took it into their heads to carry lighted torches into the hold, and all about the cabins, thereby scattering a shower of sparks in every direction, and more than once setting fire to the chips and rubbish that lay heaped around. 
had not our sailors followed and stamped out the sparks as they fell the wreck must soon have been in flames weary at length of this ferocious pastime the pirates returned to their junks put out to sea and left us once more in peace thankful to be released from their presence our brave fellows flew to work again and rigged the jolly boat afresh she was still somewhat leaky but we had made up our minds to sink or starve at sea sooner than die at last by the hands of the pirates at this solemn moment we were unanimous in our courage and our hope not one of us but preferred drowning in the bosom of the deep sea to the chances of starvation or massacre not one of us but left his fate to heaven and was content to venture be the end what it might in the meantime the weather which had hitherto been all that we could desire became less favorable to our purpose the sky last night so serene grew low and cloudy and the wind which had up to this time been blowing to the shore shifted quite round and seemed to forbid our progress seeing these signs of bad weather the captain shook his head doubtfully but our minds were made up we had resolved to go and would not be delayed it had now become a matter of some difficulty to get down into the boat for being gutted of her cargo the caldera necessarily drew but little water and floated so high above the sea level as to leave an immense distance between the ship's deck and the jolly boat the wounded sailor and i were then lowered by means of cords and the others being more agile contrived to clamber down in safety the captain then placed himself at the helm the supercargo the chinese merchant the sick man and myself were seated near him the sailors grasped the rude oars which they had themselves constructed and twenty-two in number we put out to sea from the first moment of our starting two sailors were constantly bailing out the water that made its way through the bottom of the boat and as captain rooney had already anticipated our sail soon proved to be worse than useless and had to be taken down struggling against a contrary breeze and driven back by every wave that met us we made but little progress looking back towards the caldera i seemed to see its sombre outline loom larger through the mist the farther we left it behind high above the waves like a huge hearse floated that dreary hulk alas we strove in vain to fly from it to row in such a sea would have been difficult under the most ordinary circumstances and weak and wearied as they were our men could make no head against the waves their oars rough-hewn during the day were too heavy to be manageable washed over every moment by the waves the boat filled rapidly with water and four men could scarcely bail it out fast enough for our safety besides all this an icy wind blew from the north and the hands of the rowers grew numbed and nerveless we went three miles in this manner then after four hours of superhuman effort our sailors quite broke down and confessed that they could do no more it was the will of heaven the caldera seemed destined to become our tomb let us return said the captain hoarsely and he looked as he said this like one who believes himself in the hands of fate and hopes no more from either god or man yes let us go back i replied death can be but welcome after sufferings like these the current which had been hitherto our greatest enemy bore us back almost without an effort on our part to the very spot from which we had started 
the rope by which we had been let down was swinging to and fro as we had left it the others caught hold of it and climbed easily enough but it was with the utmost difficulty that the invalid and i were hoisted on board i no sooner found myself standing once again upon this fatal deck than everything swam before my eyes and i fell heavily to the ground pain and hunger were fast doing their work upon me and the very principle of life was ebbing from my heart it was long before i recovered my consciousness and when i opened my eyes i found that i was laid upon a bench and surrounded by kindly faces every man had deprived himself of some article of clothing to warm and cover me having but water to give they gave it such cares as were in their power to bestow they lavished on me and so called me back to life at the very moment when it would have been most sweet to die some of them wept perhaps looking at me they thought of the wives the mothers the sisters whom they had left at home finding that i was now somewhat revived my companions stretched themselves on the floor and slept till morning i also slept but my dreams were of that dear france which i never hoped to see again and more than once my own hot tears awoke me the next day was the eleventh of october i had slept for some hours and this brief rest had for a while effaced the remembrance of my sufferings starting up however in the early morning i had no sooner opened my eyes than all the dread reality was brought before me there close beside me stood a group of armed chinese and in the midst of them tan sing eagerly conversing he who seemed to be their leader pointed towards me with his finger i looked on in speechless stupefaction captain rooney then came up and tan sing who still acted as our interpreter explained the nature of the conference captain said he the chief is about to carry you and me and this french lady to macao where he hopes to get a heavy ransom for us captain rooney bowed his head in melancholy acquiescence and prepared to submit i was immediately lifted by some two or three pirates and carried upon deck but i scarcely comprehended what had been said or whither they were taking me tan sing went first and i being helped down a wretched ladder followed him i then looked up expecting to see captain rooney next on his way but found to my horror that the pirates had snatched the ladder away and pushed off without him no words can depict the shock with which i beheld this last act of treachery leaving canton i had been recommended to his care and in all our troubles he had watched over me with the gentlest solicitude he was my protector my friend and parted from him i believed myself lost beyond redemption i held out my arms in token of adieu and saw the stony wonder in his face take me with you he cried passionately oh take me with you then seeing that it was useless he covered his face with his hands and wept bitterly we were summoned some minutes after to the cabin of the chief who told tan sing that captain rooney was presently to be forwarded to hong kong or macao there to negotiate for our ransoms and his own in seven or eight days said he all will be arranged in the meantime you must stay with us as hostages we were not suffered to remain in the chief's cabin but had to cross the deck and go on to the after part of the vessel i looked eagerly round in the hope of seeing the caldera for the last time but we were already far away and she was no longer visible 
The pirates who had us in charge then lifted a kind of trap, about two feet square, and pushed us down into a narrow, dark hole below deck, where we had no room to stand upright, and could with difficulty lie at full length. When we sat, our heads touched the flooring above. The trap being left open, we could at least breathe the fresh air, and look up to the sky, but once shut in, our only light proceeded from a tiny porthole of some eight inches square, which looked out beside the moving helm, and was not made to open. We had not lain more than half an hour in this dreary place, when a heavy blow echoed above our heads, followed by many others in rapid succession. Our eyes met, and each read the same dark suspicion in the other's face. Was it possible that they were nailing down the trap above our heads? Was this hole destined to be our coffin and our tomb? Had we been separated from our companions only to die slowly of hunger, thirst, and suffocation? A cold chill ran over all my body. I struggled to my knees. I strove, weak as I was, to force the lid up with my feeble hands. Oh, it was despair and anguish unspeakable. It is thus, I thought, that they suffer who are buried alive. This idea was too much for my reason. My brain burned. I lost all self-control. I strove to dash my head against the wall and put an end to my miseries. In the midst of my delirium, I felt two hands pressing mine and saw Tan Sing bending over me with the tears streaming down his cheeks. He entreated me to be calm, and presently I also wept and strove to wait my fate with resignation. Thus, two frightful hours went by, and then, as if by enchantment, the trap was suddenly raised, and the blessed sunlight flowed in once more upon us. It was but a cruel jest, and they had only feigned to nail us in after all. They crowded round the opening, laughing and pointing at us, and then, when their curiosity was satisfied, would have closed it up again, but for the prayers and representations of my companion. They then consented to leave about two inches open, and having taken advantage of this opportunity to rise and change our position, we lay at full length along the floor and breathed at least a less polluted air. Towards evening they brought us a small bucket full of water, with which we washed our hands and faces, also some dried fish, some rice, and a little tea. So weak was I that my head seemed too heavy for my body, and I now loathed the very sight of food. But Tan Sing ate eagerly, and implored me to partake of some little nourishment. Above all, he counseled me not to seem mistrustful of our foes, or of the food they gave us. Thus urged, I contrived to eat half a saucer of rice, and drink a little tea. But even this cost me a painful effort, and a degree of emotion for which I find it difficult to account. It grew dark about eight o'clock in the evening, and just as night was closing in, we heard an infernal yelling upon deck. Tan Sing hastened to reassure me. It is the hour of prayer, said he. Prayer, I repeated. Do these monsters pray? By and by, I shall have something more to tell of their religious ceremonies. When it was quite dark, the pirates summoned Tan Sing upon deck. Coming back some minutes after, they told me that I also might go up to take the air. We were now anchored not far from land, in the neighborhood of several other junks, the crews of which were all at prayer. 
it seemed strange in the presence of this calm sea and silver starlight to hear the dull echoing of the gongs and drums and the rude cries of the worshippers this moment of brief liberty was inexpressibly delightful and it seemed as if the sight of all giving nature might even then have consoled me but for the necessity of returning to my prison during the long hours that followed i could think only of my misfortunes and deemed myself comparatively happy in being associated with one whose age and benevolence placed him upon almost a paternal footing i had confidence in tan sing and witnessing his unshaken steadfastness looked upon him as my protector he consoled me he looked upon me as a daughter while i have him by my side thought i he will perhaps interpose between me and my enemies whatever be their designs then should he be taken from me i can at least throw myself into the sea one of the pirates now brought us a light which consisted of a little wick in a saucer of oil feeble as it was it yet sufficed to light up the walls of our narrow dungeon scarcely had i looked round when i uttered a cry of horror ceiling walls and floor were peopled by a multitude of huge velvety spiders enormous beetles and monstrous wood-lice horned and shiny in another instant three or four great rats rushed out of a corner and ran between my feet seeing my disgust tan sing offered to put out the light but i preferred the sight of these reptiles to the torture of hearing and feeling them in the darkness of night fortunately i still had a pocket-handkerchief remaining with this i covered my head and face and hiding my hands under my clothes crouched motionless in the middle of the floor throughout the remainder of the night towards morning the vermin disappeared not long after daybreak we were again supplied with provisions and with a bucket of water in which we washed our hands and faces tan sing then informed me that the chinese never eat till they have performed their morning's ablution as before our food consisted of rice fish and tea with these they sent us two pairs of tiny chopsticks each about a foot in length and as thick as an ordinary pencil the chinese hold them as we hold a pen and handle them with the utmost dexterity notwithstanding all the patience and skill with which tan sing endeavoured to teach me the use of these little sticks i found them so impracticable as to be obliged at last to give up the attempt and eat with my fingers to-day again the pirates came to watch and mock at us one of them more insulting than the rest pointed first at me and then at the chinese merchant and represented the action of two persons embracing this cowardly insult pained me more than all their previous cruelties i felt myself become scarlet with shame and anger and gave way to a passion of tears in the midst of my distress the pirate captain happened to pass by and as if moved by my affliction ordered the trap to be closed above our heads this chief unlike his men had something not wholly disagreeable in the expression of his countenance he alone inspired me with neither disgust nor terror his ugliness was so to say individual his face was long and thin he had high cheekbones a wide mouth a short flat nose with open nostrils dark eyebrows and very large black eyes his head was closely shaved excepting on the crown whence grew a long thick tress 
which he wore sometimes clubbed on the nape of the neck, sometimes plaited, and bound round his head like a coronet, and sometimes hanging down his back, a yard or more in length. Transformed as he was by these various styles, his face always preserved a certain pleasant character. His consideration on the present occasion inspired me now with some hope for the future. Tan Singh, partly to amuse me, partly to set my mind at rest, repeated to me the questions and observations which the pirates had addressed to him. They had asked him the number of his wives, which, in China, is a standard of wealth, and then added that if our ransoms were not sufficiently heavy, they would make a pirate of him, and give me in marriage to one of their companions. Seeing me now look more distressed than ever, the good merchant explained that the men of his country were not permitted to intermarry with aliens, and that these threats were only feints to draw him into conversation. Be careful, however, said he, never to lay your hand upon me in their presence. It is contrary to our custom, and they might repeat it to my disadvantage. To all their other questions, he had replied that he was only a poor man, about to seek his fortune in California, and gave them to understand that he was working out a cheap passage on board the caldera. He was, therefore, careful to avoid any allusion which might lead them to conjecture the extent of his means. Had they supposed him wealthy, they would not only have quadrupled his ransom, but might even have put him to the torture. He then spoke to me of his family. He had but one wife, he said, and his home was in Canton. He was the father of three daughters, of eight, eighteen, and twenty-five years of age, the eldest of whom was married. He seemed to love them tenderly, and wept when he spoke of them. He scarcely hoped ever to see them again, and had but little belief in our ultimate deliverance. I often inquired of him at this time, respecting the manners and customs of the pirates, to which he always replied, shudderingly, that they were not to be depended upon, and were dangerously fond of decapitating their prisoners. The following day went by without any event of interest. I only remember that the pirates questioned Tan Sing about my name and country, and having learned these facts by heart, amused themselves by perpetually shouting, Fanny, Fanny, which often startled me. I became miserably cramped towards evening, and Tan Sing entreated permission for me to remain upon deck somewhat longer than usual. They consented, and I thereby had an opportunity of witnessing the ceremonies of their evening prayer. Every junk, like every Chinese house, is furnished with an altar. On this altar they burn small wax lights, and offer up oblations of meat and drink. They pray every night at the same hour, and begin with a hideous overture played upon gongs, cymbals, and drums covered with serpent skins. First of all, I saw a young Chinese come forward with two swords, which he stuck upright in the very center of the deck. Beside these, he then placed some saucers, a vase filled with liquid, and a bundle of spills made of yellow paper and intended for burning. A lighted lantern was next suspended to one of the masts, and the chief fell upon his knees before the shrine. After chanting for some time, he took up the vase and drank, and next proceeded with many gesticulations to chink a lot of coins and medals together in his hands. The paper spills were then lighted and carried round and round the swords, as if to consecrate them. These ceremonies completed, 
the captain rose from his knees, came down to the after part of the junk, waved the burning papers to and fro, and threw them solemnly into the sea. The gongs and drums were now played more loudly, and the chief seemed to pray more earnestly than ever. But as soon as the last paper was dropped, and the last spark extinguished, the music ceased, the prayer came to an end, and the service was over. Altogether it had taken quite twenty minutes, and I had gained all that time in the open air. That night I strove in vain to sleep. The insects which infested our dungeon tormented me incessantly, and my feet were blistered all over from their bites. The rats, also, which at first had fled before the sound of our voices, were now grown but too friendly, and ran over us in broad daylight, as we were lying on the floor. It was now the thirteenth day of the month. The junk still coasted along, close in shore, and our position was as yet in no wise altered. In the evening we heard a great commotion upon deck, and found that one of the pirates had fallen overboard. Not having perceived this accident until too late, the man was quite dead by the time they succeeded in picking him up. They laid the corpse so close beside the opening to our cell that the water came streaming from it full upon our heads. After a quarter of an hour of confusion, they gave up all hope of bringing him back to life, and, with sullen imprecations, flung the body back into the sea. On the morning of the 15th, we came up with several other pirate junks, and joined them in giving chase to a merchant junk, plying between Hong Kong and Canton with goods and passengers. All was now excitement on board. The hours of rest were passed by, and Tan Sing overheard the robbers concerting their plans of attack and calculating the probable extent of the booty. When the evening came, we were fastened down in our dungeon more closely than ever. It might have been about ten o'clock at night when we once more heard the frightful war cries which startled us from our sleep that fatal night on board the caldera. These cries were followed by a dropping cannonade. Two shots were then fired from our own junk, the vibration of which seemed to rend every timber around us. More dead than alive, I vainly strove to still the beatings of my heart, and dreaded every instant, lest a ball should burst in upon us. Four junks then surrounded the merchant vessel, which, taken by surprise, offered but a feeble resistance. Amid the silence that ensued, Tan Sing contrived, with much difficulty, to raise the trap, for we had been a long time shut in, and the heat had become insufferable. Scarcely, however, had he succeeded and looked out, than he drew precipitately back and closed up the entrance. His terror and agitation alarmed me, but he refused to describe what he had seen. Some hours later, however, I learnt all that had taken place. Having boarded and pillaged the merchant junk, the pirates, it seemed, proceeded to interrogate the passengers. Several of these unfortunates unluckily confessed that they came from California, which was alone sufficient to expose them to every kind of ill usage. In order to wring from them a full avowal of their riches, the pirates had put their victims to the torture. Bound by only one thumb and one toe, these wretched captives were suspended from the masts, and swung violently backwards and forwards. As if this were not sufficient suffering, their agonies were, from time to time, augmented by heavy blows, and their shrieks were inconceivably distressing. Although these scenes were not taking place on board our own junk, 
Tan Sing guessed but too plainly the species of torture which the barbarians had chosen to inflict. Day broke, and the dreary silence which succeeded to the horrors of the night was only disturbed by the slow plashing of the waves and the dipping oars of the rowers, who were transporting the booty in small boats from junk to junk. End of chapter 7 Recording by Karen